Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas is right around the corner, so we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. This year, we will be hosting three identical Christmas services starting on December 23rd at 5 p.m., and continuing on December 24th at 4 and 6 p.m. It's going to be a great night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Irrational fears are perfectly rationally irrational. Irrational fears, all of our outlandish ones, make perfect sense, but only when you think about them irrationally. Now, if this sounds incredibly confusing or hazy or maybe familiar, hey, wait a minute, didn't you start this exact same way the last time you got up here and gave a message? Reuse the material already. Get Pastor Michael back up here. Now, it's true. I am recycling old material. You may remember I have an irrational fear of snakes, specifically snakes in my toilet when I open up that toilet lid. Freaks me out. We talked about snakes in the foundation of your home, and somebody right here in Maryland, just south of us, burned their million-dollar home to the ground because they were trying to smoke a snake out of their house. And some of y'all came up to me afterwards, and you were messing with me after that service. I like snakes. No, you don't. Somebody after first service told me they know somebody, their snake sleeps in their bed with them, and that's just disgusting. Don't do that. Don't be that person. Also, some of you were like, I'm going to buy you a snake for Christmas this year. No, you're not. (laughs) And this is why. Let's go to the zoo. It'll be fun, they said. Just, you know, a venomous snake big enough to kill us and our entire family on the loose. No big deal. Oh, but wait. It gets better. Check this out. Grandma got swallowed by a giant. Coming home from work one afternoon. You can say that you don't believe in pythons. But as for me, I believe we're doomed. Like, this makes me feel like my irrational fears make sense. I'm only eight inches taller than grandma was. And the article said it took that snake over two hours to finish swallowing her. And the locals say it's not even the biggest snake There's bigger ones out there in the forest, like snakes on a plane, terrible movie. Snakes in the forest, nightmares. This is the stuff nightmares are made of. And it's like, yeah, but sure, that's all the way out there in India. Do you know what is happening down in the Everglades right now in Florida? A python takeover. The exact same pythons that I got grandma, they're here. They're moving up north, as far north as Orlando. And it only takes one bad experience at Disney, aren't they all, for those snakes to keep moving north. They're coming. Vacation in Florida at your own risk. Now, I'm going to crush my irrationality real fast. I was doing some research this week, and the following list is stuff that's more likely to happen to me than getting attacked by a snake. Dying from a wasp or a bee sting. Finding a man that does laundry up to his woman's standards. How do you do laundry? Turn it on cold, throw stuff in detergent, and then you dry it, and it's done, right? Like, no stink, I'm good to go. But apparently... That's not the case. 
you have darks and you have lights and you have lights that are darks and darks that are lights and you have neutrals and you have to stain treat and let the stain treat sit but not sit too long because you don't want it to sit too long and then you have to dry low heat, medium, high heat. And I'm like, I just want my clean clothes. There's more. I'm more likely to be injured by my toilet than to have a snake sitting in it waiting for me. Drafted into the NBA, this guy going to the NBA, be born with 11 fingers, audited by the IRS, finding a four-leaf clover, bowling a perfect game, catching a foul ball at a baseball game, life dream that has still never happened. A hole-in-one at a golf course, and maybe for all you ladies out there, a man that doesn't turn into a baby when he gets sick. Now, those stats speak truth, but so does this. You are not going to change the world. You're not. Statistics say it's not going to happen. We just hit 8 billion people on the planet last month. People in Frederick County don't even know who you are, let alone the other side of the world. And you come to me and you say, but I'm going to be an influencer and make videos and millions of people are going to watch them. Maybe. Probably not. And if you are that person, you can make a video all about your haters. You can call me out. You proved your doubters wrong. That's cool. Go ahead. I won't watch it anyways. Have fun. I know. What an uplifting message today. Grandma dies. You're not changing the world. You're crushing my dreams here. I'm not. I'm trying to help you set realistic ones. You're not going to change the entire world, but you definitely are changing the world. You are. You may not know it, but you definitely are. You are having an impact. One pastor says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. My East Tennessee comes out sometimes. I like to say your cement's drying. You are a world changer, just not for 8 billion people. Maybe not even for 8 people. But you are a world changer. If you want to write that down, I would encourage you to write that down today. You are a world changer. People are watching you. They are impacted by you. So how do you change the world? Do for one what you wish you could do for many. And Jesus understood this more than we know. He primarily invested in a group of 12 men, and that's how he changed the world. And after Jesus died and rose again from the grave and came back to earth for just a little while, he spent time with those 12 men and a few other people. And in the very last thing that he ever says to those 12 before he permanently goes back up into heaven, that's recorded in the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, verse eight, the very last thing Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. Jesus knew that his message would reach, change, and impact the entire world. Other portions of the Bible refer to this as every tribe, every tongue, every nation will have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, and his message spreads to the ends of the earth. Do you know who you are? We are the ends of the earth. If you would have sat down with those 12 guys, Jesus' disciples, and said, hey, there's a place called Frederick, Maryland in the United States, they would have thought you were nuts. At that time, there's simply no way to conceive a world that large with that many people. 
But Jesus' disciples would literally call us the ends of the earth. So how does the message of hope reach us, first century influencers who travel the globe? By and large, no. If you know the Bible, you can argue for Paul and what he did on his missionary journeys. Right after Jesus died, a guy named Paul traveled by boat to distant places and established churches, yes. But for the most part, their world and our world is changed by people having an impact around those directly around them. So if you want to be a world changer and have an internal influence forever, you start with the world right around you. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. And if you look at the Bible, you kind of see it's happening over and over again. And a lot of these people, they're not superheroes. They're everyday people that look just like us. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in a fiery furnace, Noah building a big boat called the Ark, Job and his service to God, Daniel and his prayers to God. If you don't know those names, it's okay. They're regular people. Even those 12 disciples that Jesus chose, for the most part, they're blue-collar guys in the trades making a living out on a boat fishing. Regular people. And in the past few weeks, as we've gotten ready for the Christmas series here at Collective and Christmas Eve services next week, which you should totally be at, Pastor Michael has kind of been highlighting little aspects of the Christmas story. And it's a story and a narrative that a lot of us know well. You have the manger, baby Jesus, Joseph and Mary, the angels. And it makes sense to be talking about all this in December because it's all leading up to, which somebody help me out here, the best and most favorite holiday of the year is, you're wrong, it's the 4th of July. First of all, my wife's sitting right down here. She's about ready to boo me. So if you want to join in with her, I get it. Do you want to know what Christmas is? It is the most overrated holiday of the entire year. You can boo me, that's fine, go ahead. I'm just getting started here, we're just getting warmed up. How are you gonna love a holiday where you have to freeze to enjoy it? Like you can't wear flip-flops at Christmas time. Fourth of July, that's a real holiday. Give me a few hot dogs off the smoker, barbecues, grilling out, water balloons, pools, fireworks, 95 degrees and that nasty, ugly, beautiful humidity we have here in Maryland. That's a holiday. Do you want to know what Christmas songs are? I'm just going to give you a little truth this morning. Christmas songs, they're like that one movie. Everybody's like, yo, you got to watch this movie. It's a classic. You're going to love it. It's so good. And then you watch it and you're like, I wasted my life for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Christmas songs, good, inconceivable. Like, can we just bury them all in the ground and have them never be heard from ever again? As you wish. If you are a young person and you have no idea what is happening right now, you are better off for it. Do not ever watch that movie. It's a waste of your life. You're welcome. But but what about the lights? They're so festive and fun and warm and you're wearing them right now. What about the lights? People in our neighborhood go big. I obviously do not, but people in our neighborhood go big and they decorate like crazy. So one day Rachel was driving and she took a little detour so we could look at all the Christmas lights in the neighborhood and Rachel and all the girls are ooing and aahing and like pointing things out. And I'm like, 
we're driving around wasting our money watching other people waste their money. It makes no sense. Now, hang on. Let me redeem myself. There are some good parts about Christmas too. My absolute most favorite thing about Christmas is January 1st. Because that's when all the stuff goes back in the boxes, where to dump, where it belongs. You get that Christmas tree out of the house any way that you can. Start the countdown to spring training, spring forward, and summertime. I'm a real peach to live with this month. Uh, my shirt actually says, when you're dead inside, but it's Christmas. All right, now, for real, I, I do enjoy the Christmas season. I enjoy being with all of you. I enjoy my family. I love the precious memories that we get to have together. And I really do enjoy all of those things. And as our oldest reminds me, Daddy, Christmas has to be your favorite holiday because it's Jesus' birthday and we want to celebrate Jesus. So it's better than 4th of July. And I'm like, well, you can't argue with God's thoughts of a six-year-old. So I genuinely do love the good news and the joy that comes in this time of year that is found in Jesus just not all that other stuff. So this morning, we are going to 4th of July, the Christmas message, and look at nothing related to the birth of Jesus. We're going in the exact opposite direction. And we're going to look at a guy who changed the world because he changed the life of one person. His name is Mordecai. Check out Esther 2, verse 7. This man, Mordecai, had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Both her parents died. He did the honorable thing, and he took her in. And he and his family at that time were already foreigners living in a distant land because they were exiled. And his life was forever changed because he took in an innocent girl didn't have a dad or a mom anymore. And let's pause there for just a second. Rachel and I, in our married life together, we have looked at adoption as an option for kids for us and our family. And the timing has never worked out because of pregnancies and birth of our own kids. But we've looked and we've done meetings with agencies and we've been to training seminars. And one thing that we know is how hard adoption is, especially with older kids, because of trauma and abuse that they have been a part of in their life. And there's hours and hours of trainings and classes and seminars and certifications to teach you how to become a good adoptive parent to a child that has trauma. Esther had two parents. We assume a loving family, and it all ended. We do not know why, but she outlived both her mom and her dad. And this is trauma before the word was invented. And she brings all of this with her to Mordecai. No experts, no training, just a guy taken in his cousin. And the Bible also tells us that she is young, so we can assume, I can assume there's a pretty considerable age gap. So rather than thinking of that traditional cousin-cousin-peer relationship, I envision this more as like a stepfather-daughter type of relationship. The Bible tells us she's lovely, she's beautiful, she's attractive. At that point in time, the king has the very first ever version of The Bachelor, all the virgins in the land are brought before him so he can choose a new queen. And this is where we pick up verses 8 and 9 in the story. 
As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special meal for her, provided her with beauty treatments, and he also assigned her seven, seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. She's taken in with all the other women. She is immediately noticed, treated kindly. Her physical beauty is so evident, she gets special treatment. And in the end, yes, she does end up becoming queen. But getting back to Mordecai, he must have done a good job of raising her. Now, the Bible tells us that she is still a virgin. Yes, she catches the king's eye. She's universally admired by everybody, but she also catches the king's affection and approval. And this goes deeper than just her outward physical qualities. This speaks to her character as well. And popular Christian authors believe that her inner beauty matched that of her outer beauty as well. And this is absolutely a credit to her, but also to Mordecai, who raised her. And I would definitely encourage you to read the book of Esther. It's short. It's just a few chapters. It doesn't end with her becoming queen. It takes a fascinating twist that you should read on your own time. But the point is, Mordecai changed the world by doing for one what he wished he could do for many. And he doesn't get the headlines. We don't remember him as the main character. The title of the book of the Bible is Esther, after all, not Mordecai. But she would not have been in that position without him changing her world. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. And the power of one multiplied all over the world is indeed a very powerful thing. Dr. R. Adams Callie and the Maryland State Police did not set out to change emergency medicine as we know it today. They simply saw a problem in front of them and tried to solve that problem. And it worked. Today, Dr. Callie is buried in Arlington National Cemetery, and according to that cemetery's own website, is among the most stringent in the United States for permanent placement in that cemetery. And as a professor, part of my role has expanded to the state level, specifically teaching trooper candidates. These are future state troopers that are in the midst of a grueling six-month-long academy. Every trooper must go through the academy, and if they choose, they can get an education component as well, which is where I get to teach them. Class 155 that I've been working with graduates next week in just a few days, and I will be there to see them sworn in to serve and protect us. And a few years ago, when we lived across from the hospital right here downtown in Frederick, whenever the helicopter would come, we would always hear it, and our oldest in her childhood innocence and joy would love to run outside to the front porch, look in the sky, try to see the helicopter, and come in and tell us what color it was. And that was fun for her. But also, without me knowing it, that was my first introduction to Dr. Callie and the Maryland State Police. Those helicopters that fly into the hospital are manned by the Maryland State Police Aviation Command, and one of their areas of specialty is medical evacuations, emergency situations where somebody needs care immediately. 
And two of the young men from class 155 will be joining that command next week. And Dr. Callie himself was not a state trooper. He was born and raised in Utah, broken wild Mustangs as a kid, got kicked out of high school, got kicked out of college. And eventually he was making a living by cleaning out spittoons, what you spit your chewing tobacco in just to get by in life. He got serious about his life. He was medically trained right next door at Hopkins, drafted into the army off to Europe. And there in Europe, he experienced something that changed the course of his life because he noticed what took American doctors three to four hours was finished up in 40 minutes. And he couldn't help but wonder if so many of those soldiers' lives were changed because of the immediate care that they got. And so when he returned home, his entire life, his professional life was devoted to serving severely wounded people. And it was his experience here that helped change emergency medicine throughout the entire world. He explained something called the golden hour between life and death. If you are critically injured, you have 60 minutes to seek emergency medical care. If not, he says, you will die. You may not die right then. It may be in three days or in three months. But in his words, something has happened to your body that is irreparable. And he begged and pleaded the army for a grant until they finally relented and gave him a space, a lab, to where he could study this further. And this was commonly known as the death lab. But he wasn't studying death. He was studying how to save lives. And as he began saving more lives, he thought back to a question that had pondered him for years. How come war soldiers in Vietnam had a better chance of survival than car crash victims here in the 60s and the 70s? And he realized he stumbled upon something with the golden hour because over there in Vietnam, they were flown out and got the emergency treatment that they needed. And he realized that was the key. So Dr. Callie again begged and pleaded the Maryland State Police, who already had an aviation command unit, to then additionally specialize in medical evacuations. And on March 19th, 1970, the first successful medevac helicopter transport of a civilian occurred right here in Western Maryland. History will tell you that person survived. The critically injured who was flown out survived. The driver who had less severe injuries and was taken to a hospital by car died. This had never happened before outside of a military scenario and had never before involved citizens. And now today, MSP Aviation Command has saved over 150,000 people. That is the population of our city twice. And MSP now has a fleet of 10 helicopters designated throughout the state, including one right here in Frederick. And according to Dr. Sam Gavagno, MSP Aviation Command has some of the best trained and best equipped paramedics in the world. Dr. Callie and the Maryland State Police changed the world of emergency medicine, not only through medical evacuations, but also by creating true emergency centers and the modern-day ambulance as we know it. And this is the method of medicine practiced throughout the developed world today. His original two-bed unit eventually grew into a five-story unit, which is now an eight-story state-of-the-art trauma center as part of the University of Maryland medical system. And 97% of patients survive. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. It's exactly what he did. 
And Jesus, through 12 men, changed the world, and we're still getting to watch the ripple effect of that today. He chose 12 men, 12 disciples that he lived with, traveled with, and mentored. And yes, Jesus absolutely cares about the entire world, but he limited his intentional and daily and direct interaction to 12. And even within that group of 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that he more heavily invested in than the other nine. Mark chapter 9 from the Bible details an experience that those three get to be a part of that the other nine do not. Peter was the oldest. John was the youngest. James died very quickly. John lived many decades and had life and ministry that followed. And these three are specifically mentioned in the book of Acts for their leadership and ability to move the message of Jesus forward. We, the ends of the earth, have been reached because of Jesus' influence on these three. He had 12, he focused on three, but for us today, let's narrow that focus even more. Do for one. Who is your one? How are you changing the world? Is it your spouse who you wish was sitting next to you right now? A teenager who is growing up way too fast, somebody at work? Do for one. And if you are a Christian in the room right now, this is especially important for us. This is part of our calling and joy as Christians in joining in with Jesus to change the world for him. So Christians, when is the last time you were responsible for somebody's baptism. The last time you brought somebody to church, invited somebody to church. You have the perfect chance to invite. DJ talked about this in his host spot this morning. Pastor Michael has talked about this. Right now is the best time of the entire year to invite people to come to church with you and experience these Christmas Eve services that are next week. And I get that it makes you nervous. It makes me nervous. Rachel and I both extended invitations this week. People we have known for years and people that we just met, we invited them here today. We invited them to be with us next week as well. And yes, even I have doubts when I'm doing this. Will they even show up? Like, what will they think about me? Will this change or, or make our relationship awkward at all? Can I answer questions that they might have? But we do it anyway, because as that verse in Acts tells us, to the very ends of the earth means every person in our city and our county. Also, if you're a Christian and you can't remember the last time you invited, brought, or baptized, this may sound harsh, but how committed are you in your relationship to Jesus? How much do you actually love the world around you? And so very quickly, I'm just going to give you a lot of different ways where you can do for one and take that next step and take action this week. I'm going to start with teenagers and young people. Don't put up walls with your parents. Be real and vulnerable with them. Let them in. Hang out with your siblings. Encourage them. Love them, even when they are annoying. Husbands, how often are you praying for your wife? Leading her in studying the Bible, serving her, cherishing her. How are you demonstrating to your kids what a godly faith-based marriage looks like where you take the leadership in that role? If your kids had a marriage like yours, would you be okay with it? Wives, 
How often are you praying for your husband? How are you encouraging your husband when he leads the family towards Jesus? Does he know that you love and respect him? Do your kids see a godly faith-based marriage because of you and how you interact with your husband? And if your kids had a marriage like yours, would you be proud of it? Everyone in the room can find somebody to read the Bible with. Do it as a family. Do it with your friends. Pray together. Share with your family or friends what you love about Jesus. Young people in the room, grab your parents and say, what is your favorite thing about Jesus and that he has done in your life? And listen to what they have to say. Memorize parts of the Bible together. If you're skeptical or if you're not a Christian or if you're on the fence, keep coming back here. Ask your even more skeptical friends to come with you and give you a second opinion. We do not mind that here. Read the Bible on your own. Do your own homework. Ask questions when there's something that you don't understand. Pray to God that he would make himself real to you in a way that makes sense to you. For everyone in the room, the key takeaway is action. Start or continue, even if you are the one you are doing it for. I want to close today by telling everybody in the room, you are Jesus's one. Jesus can and did do for many. He absolutely did do that. But he also died on a cross for you. You are chosen. You are treasured. And you may be sitting here saying, in a room this size or in a world this big, that can't be, that's preposterous, but it is absolutely true. You are God's treasure. He takes delight in you. He values you. He cherishes your heart. And maybe the person you need to bring back next weekend to hear more about this is yourself. If you doubt this, find this hard to believe, you've never heard this before, you've heard it 10,000 times before, Jesus came for you. You are his one. He chose to give up his life for you so that you can have life in him. And in this Christmas season, if your world is the world that needs changed, if your world is the one that needs the good news and great joy, come back and keep hearing the message of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for today. And no matter how we feel about this Christmas season, if we are a self-proclaimed Grinch counting down the days or if we are soaking up every single moment, I pray that we find you in this season. I pray that those words that we just heard of how we are the one that you came for sink into our hearts. We know them to be true. We hear the truth of what is in the Bible. And that changes how we interact with this Christmas season, changes how we interact with our family and friends and the people around us, because we know that we are your one. It's in your son's name. Amen.